Galatians 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in this word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. For those of you that were here this morning, we looked at the wonder of the fact that those original disciples were fishermen. Simple fishermen. Went on to look at the idea that we read the Bible with the understanding of what came next, because we have the whole thing. But if we go back to where we were at that point, we were talking about four fishermen. That was it. That was who they were. I didn't then and I don't now make that point so that we think any less of them. I don't say that to belittle them. I don't say it to, to make any mockery of who they were. I also don't say it so that we think less of ourselves. As we've talked about week after week, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created by the maker of the earth. But the point remains that even the great disciples, those people who saw and did incredible things, began as fishermen. Simple, humble fishermen. Which I praise God about because I didn't really start off as anything hugely special. I was sharing with someone the other day um, the photos of me as a child. I was born uh, in 1983, and apparently when you're born in London, you had dresses, either blue or pink. They were still dresses, but they're blue or pink. So I have a wonderful baby photo of me in what now would be described as a Kath Kidson print. Back then was quite clearly just the generic, this is the pattern that we put on children, look, um, of me in that. But I didn't start as anything special. Wholly dependent on nurses, on parents, on everyone else. And then as I've gone on in life and as we look at the gospel message, we begin to realize as we talked about this morning that it was nothing that they had done before they met Jesus. In fact, it was nothing they did as they knew Jesus that earned them salvation. Likewise, from the moment I was born into my lovely blue Kath Kidson-esque styled gown, there was nothing I had done. And in truth, there's nothing I've done since that could earn me salvation. 
That was all done on the cross. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 this expression of maybe a more eloquent way of saying it's very little to do with us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works, so no one can boast. There are some pretty good people in this place. There is no one who's had more selfies with famous people than Steve. Doesn't make him any better than anyone else. We start at this point because it creates a level playing field from the musicians to the sound desk, to you, the congregation, to me and Mark as the pastors, those who welcomed you, those who are going to make tea and coffee to host you. It is a level playing field. In God's kingdom, there is no hierarchy because of the role that we happen to play this evening. Why? Because no one can boast about what we achieved to make it to heaven. The reason I want to make that point is as we begin to look at the passage that Anne read to us, we have to be aware that we could be any one of the people that it alludes to. We could find ourselves in any one of the positions that Paul begins to talk about. So therefore, we need to be aware that we can't look at any of those situations that are mentioned feeling like we're, we're better than that. I know where I would land because I'm pretty good. That's not what happens. This is a level playing field. It applies to all of us. I love this. I know they were brothers, so please work with me when I say what I'm about to say as the fishermen, but you had individuals that were fishermen becoming the 12 disciples. Individuals becoming the 12 disciples. You have me, you have you, you have us, collectively, a group of individuals, but when we gather together, we become the church, modern-day disciples, followers of Christ. We come together and become the body. We are indeed in this together. I say that Again, to re-emphasize, as we begin to just unpick this a little bit, please do not get caught in the game of seeing yourself either side of the fence. Please don't just assume that you are going to be the sinner or that you are always going to be the restorer. Please do not assume that you are always going to be the one who is in need of forgiveness at that point as opposed to maybe the one who will need to do the forgiving. Sometimes you will be the burden bearer Sometimes you will be the bearer of others' burdens. This is a level playing field. Everyone has a role to play. Twelve individuals became the disciples. A collection of individuals in this building become the church. This was never about doing it alone. And I think we see here in this passage some fundamentals of how to make sure we don't get caught in that trap. I want to ask you and tell you a little story. I wonder how often you do it. I'm trusting it's not just me. You've been to the shops, you've done your weekly shop, you've come home, the car, or we're going to say car because if you had a bike, there's an outside chance there would be less bags. The boot is full of bags, and you look at it, and there is, it is quite clearly, quick calculation you had, this is a two-trip quantity. This is two journeys. But part of you says, if I do this right, one trip, I can do this in one. So you do that thing where you kind of load them progressively up your arm and you 
See if you like the, the reusable bag that we now all use, you've kind of hooked onto this shoulder, and you've slowly but surely prepared yourself into a semi-plastic children's monster of groceries because you're doing it in one trip. And we labor our way from the car, which somehow we've miraculously locked because we can do this. And we move towards the house, and it's getting heavier, and you can feel the circulation progressively dropping off in your fingers as the bags are biting in. You are going progressively slower, and then you have that amazing moment. From somewhere, an angelic voice through the clouds says, can I help? Like a balm on a wound angelic in its presentation, sweet relief to your ears and to your aching body. And so we do possibly the most natural human response we know. Now nah, I'm fine. <laughs> fine. It's good. Got it. Don't worry. Don't even worry about opening the door. I can do it. Why is it that we do this? It can't just be me who finds themselves doing something I quite clearly am at the very limits of, if not pushing the limits of my capabilities. But my response will be, I'm fine. I got this. Why? Why do we do that? It's an odd built-in default that we seem to have that assumes that we need to carry everything that is ours. We seem to have a built-in default that if we can't somehow manage this load of groceries, it is a dent on the very humanity of who I am. Somehow, my life isn't quite all it could be because I can't quite manage this task on my own. Admitting that I need help is a sign of weakness. Admitting that I need help is a sign of failure. Somehow we have decided that admitting I can't do this on my own is not an option. So it comes as no surprise that we read Paul reminding us that God never intended us to carry burdens alone. Never intended us to carry burdens alone. The amount of times I have found myself incredibly well, you know, let's be honest, I'm good at it, carrying bags, and then one of the bags splits. And you've got stuff running around, and you, you can't do anything. Why? You are heavy burdened, and any curveball, any situation you were not prepared for is going to throw everything off. We were never designed to carry our burdens alone. Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I feel like I've become somewhat of a broken record, and I'm okay with that. But it's okay not to be okay. If I genuinely, if I could, and I won't, and I can't, so don't panic. If I could, I would genuinely have a fine pot that the welcome people have. And if you answer with the word fine, you pay a fine. <laughs> because I'm 35, and I don't know that many days that I've been fine. Someone said it to me in the kitchen, I forget who, when they, um, they asked about the barbecue this afternoon. And my first response was, it was a bit hot. I could have said fine, but it was hot. You know, probably by Wednesday it'll be cold and you'll hear me complaining about the cold. We are very rarely fine. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be honest with where you're at. We need to hear these words and we need to not just hear them from me, we need to see within the Bible that it is expressed continually. This was never about doing it alone. 
This was never about seeing how much we could carry and how far we could go with that load. It was never about that. If you are heavy burdened, share the load with someone. If you are heavy burdened, share the load with someone. And consider this, if someone else is heavy burdened, if they are looking worn, if you know something of the life that they are living and the struggles they are facing, is there a way in which you can begin to take the weight for them? Could you offer, to use our example, to take some of those extra shopping bags just to help out? We are the church. Not this, as stunning as this is. We are the church. And we need to be church together because, sadly, individually, the church would be fairly dull. Don't get me wrong, you would love church every Sunday if it was just you. It would be everything you wanted it to be. But it would be dull. Because the church was never an individual. The church was the collective. The church is us. And church looks a whole lot like joy and praise and singing. Sadly, what I don't see the church looking a lot like, but I read continually the church should be like, is tears and pains and burdens openly shared with honesty. Because that's the church I read of. Gosh, read any of Paul's letters. They are full of encouragements, but the undertone is a guy who is struggling, who's possibly in prison, who's going through the mill. It is okay not to be okay. It's crucial that we feel like this is a place we can come openly and honestly with our pain and our tears in the same way that we can come with our joys and our praises. This should be the most honest space in your week. Yet too often we answer with fine. For those of you who are... uh, ready to pick me up on a technicality. Tim, what about Jesus? What about the communion table? It reminds us that Jesus bore our sins on the cross and actually all of that weight was placed on him. That's where I should be going. I don't need to tell everyone else because I got Jesus. Cool, you do. I'm not denying that. But it isn't the only place to take your burdens. It's not the only burdens that you carry. Sometimes simple worries... Take them to Jesus, yeah, but share them. Why hold them on your own? Doubts, temptations. Yes, we should cast them on Jesus, but as we see in 1 Peter, we're reminded that we shouldn't just leave it there. Have you considered that when you pray to God, when you bring your burdens before him, the answer to those burdens could be incredibly practical. Have you considered the answer to your prayer, Lord God, would you help me with this situation? I have no idea where I'm going. Could be sat next to you in the pew right now. God has brought the answer physically next to you. The problem is carrying it on my own. Between me and God, we got this. Have you considered you might be sat there as the answer to someone else's prayer in the depths of their need, and yet you do not ask the question, are you okay? 
I had this. It was away at a minister's retreat. Had the opportunity, someone was next to me, they were crying, and no word of a lie, three verses of a song, it took me to pluck up the courage to just put my hand on their shoulder and pray. Why? Because I was embarrassed that they might be embarrassed. I was embarrassed that they might not want to share with me what the burden was. Somehow I had decided that clearly seeing someone in distress might be a social taboo to kind of show any form of support, love, or care. You could be the answer to someone's prayer this evening. Why? Because we are the church. God designed us to do this together. It's not just coincidence, not just chance. It's meant to be about journeying together, carrying one another's joys and sorrows. And just to kind of underline that point, yes, please take them to Jesus. Please pray about what's going on in your life. Incredible to consider the creator God is bothered by us at that intimate level. But as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, but the God who comforts the downcast, so yeah, we've accepted God, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So the God who comforts the downcast comforted us with a human being, another physical person, which makes me believe that in this room there is a whole bunch of Tituses who could take the burden and bring comfort to the broken. Are you being called to be a Titus? Is it on your heart? Are you sat there right now thinking, you know what, at the end of the service, I want to go and talk to that person, but it might be a bit awkward because what if there's nothing wrong and da-da-da, and what if I, go and I might miss my coffee or the chocolate biscuits? Might be... Get rid of the list of maybes that get in the way. Is God calling you to be a Titus this evening? Are you the human embodiment of the prayer answered? Paul goes on to write in the verse that we've, uh, passages we've looked at this evening. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. It's crucial. Instead of spending our time picking the faults in those around us, maybe even those coming to us with those burdens, it's too easy sometimes to feel like we can pick up and look at a situation and go, I'll help you because you are lowly and I am high. And of course I will help you because you are down there and I am up here. We get caught sometimes looking at the situation and letting it make us feel better. Sometimes it goes the other way and we look at those who have it right and we look at our brokenness and our burden compared to their greatness and we feel like we can't possibly be any help or any involvement. We need to be there for one another. And I look back to the start of this message and to what I talked about this morning. We need to be there for one another on the realization and the truth that every single one of us is broken and every single one of us needs a savior. That's the level playing field we come from. That means that no matter how I'm doing right now, I could be in a completely different place in 24 hours. Just because I look like I've got it all together publicly might mean behind the scenes I am torn to shreds with dilemma. 
We all come on a completely level playing field. We are all broken and we are all in need of a saviour. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as the church. When, you, when it reads in verse 5, for each one should carry their own load, that doesn't discredit everything else I said. It's not a contradiction of saying, well, you said we should share, and this is saying hold it ourselves. What that's saying is that you need to take responsibility for some of the situations you're in, some of the places you're in. But own where you are. Own where you are, not where someone else is. Don't use their life as a litmus test to see how you're doing. If you are broken, you are broken. And I don't care what anyone else tells you. If you are broken where you are, then you are broken. Too often we look at a situation and we'll say, it'll be fine. It's not that bad. Or we do, which I'm incredibly guilty of. Someone will start to tell me something that they're going through and I'll go, that is nothing. You would not believe what happened to me. Accept where you are. It might need to be shared with someone else. But until we accept that we are faulty and we are broken and we are in need of a saviour, until we accept that we can't carry all of this burden on our own, and more so we weren't meant to, we will find ourselves stuck and isolated and hurting. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, the one who sows to please his sinful nature. From that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, in sorry, in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. Thank you, Anne. As I looked at this passage, it became evident that you can break it into two. Please do not be concerned. The second half is not as long as the first half. But you can break it into two. The first half is very much looking at the fact that we are in this together. This was never about a bunch of individuals. This was about the collective. The second part reminds us that we don't just do that to build really cool church castles with deep moats, thick walls, and good protection from the world. We do it because we have a call to go and share what we have. So I want to look and this amazing picture that Paul creates for us. Jesus did it a whole lot as well. They used agriculture a lot, which is good because I am no gardener. I'm also not great with agriculture, full stop. But I understand the simplicity of the process. If we want a harvest, if we want something to grow, then we need to begin by sowing something. Very simple. I'm beginning to learn this with growing stuff. The next fact that Jesus and Paul highlight continually is that we will reap what it is we've sown. 
If we want something to grow, then we need to sow, and the thing that we have sown will be that that we eventually get to reap. And the more we sow, the more we will reap. Agriculture is dangerously simple, I've begun to realise. So I want to break it down a tiny bit before we conclude. It seems very simple, but if a farmer wants a crop, if he earns his livelihood from growing things, if that's what he does, then he needs to go out before there even is a crop and plant the seeds. He needs to put the time in and the investment in to sow the seeds. If that farmer who's growing the crop for his livelihood wants a crop of wheat, then he is not going to go and fill his field with barley. He's going to sow the seeds of the crop that he plans on reaping. And he's not just going to use cheap seeds. He's going to use the best seeds that he can. Why? This is his livelihood. If a farmer has a whole field and he's going to be sowing his seeds into that field, he's not just going to look at one corner of the field and plant there and look at the rest and leave it barren. Instead, he's going to plant the seeds across the whole field. And because this is livelihood, he's not just going to plant them a little bit everywhere. He is going to plant them a lot everywhere. He wants a huge crop, so he will sow generously. I don't know how much you consider what Paul is saying there. I don't know if we really ever consider these for the simplicity of what they are saying, but the difficulty of what they therefore mean. Please stay with me as I just close on this. I asked you a question. I don't need an answer out loud. Do you want to see people saved? Simple enough question. Do you want to see people saved? Do you want your sons and daughters, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, colleagues and friends saved? Because if you do, the formula that we've got before us is pretty simple. Go and sow seeds. Go and sow seeds. Tell them about Jesus. Share the gospel. Be open with them about what Jesus has done. As we heard earlier, tell them that life is not perfect now you are a Christian. Because trust me, it makes Christianity look a whole lot more appealing when we stop pretending that we somehow are a whole lot better as a result of it. So in the truth and the wonder of what God has done, so in the spirit, trust in the work that the spirit has done in your life and can do in their lives. And then finally... So freely, so freely, share and share and share. If we learn anything from this little story of agriculture, it is simply this. If you want to see a harvest, you will have to put in some work. If you want to see a vast harvest, if you want this place to be full of your friends and family, then you need to be sowing seeds. Tell them about Jesus. Those of you who did the Talking Jesus course, most people come to faith because someone talked about Jesus to them. Sow the seeds of faith. I encourage you, please, do not be afraid to share the price that Jesus paid for you. Too often, as we alluded to a little bit, we give them kind of a drip-fed version of the gospel that we think they might understand that might work for them. Don't cheapen what God did what he did was amazing 
Use the very best of what we have in here to tell the world about who he is and what he's done. No one comes because what they have done. No one comes because of what they've done. Amazingly, that works the other way. No one is disqualified because of what they've done. No one is disqualified because of what they've done. No one is too strong and none too weak. No one has so many issues. No one has too much baggage. No one has it all together. So therefore, we can conclude this. And I pray that you take this as a huge encouragement as you leave this place. No one is beyond the reach of your sowing. No one, there is no one in your life, no one, who is beyond the reach of your sowing. How are people going to hear about Jesus? You. You. What are you going to do once you've shared it? You're going to come back here and you're going to tell people, you know what, I just spoke to my friend. Pray with me. We will carry the burden with you and I promise you we will praise alongside you when they are being baptised. That's what church looks like. There is a responsibility to share what we have. I want to give you one, as I close, final piece of advice. If you have no idea where to begin, if you are not sure how to cross that first bridge, make that first approach, then I just leave you with this final small part of the passage. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Where do I begin with sharing the gospel? Do some good. Do some good. Let that open the door. And then sow some seeds. Be who God has made you to be. Be excellent. Because you can be completely aware you do not do this alone.